Welcome, guys. This is the RBT Podcast, Episode 2. Today, we are talking about sleep. And, you know, obviously, everyone wants to talk about calories and training and all the rest of it. But, you know what? If you don't get your sleep on point, everything else doesn't really matter because you're going to overeat. You're not going to train very well. And we have Ryan here from the South Melbourne RBT, Ryan Wilson Performance. Um, he's an expert on sleep. Well, he's an expert for me on sleep anyway. I see him napping all the time, so that must be his expert status. Uh, what's up, Ryan? How you doing, buddy? Good, good. How are you? Thanks for having me on. <laughs> awesome, mate. And we have Ben Kant here as well. Ben, welcome, mate. Uh, thanks, mate. Awesome, guys. So strap in, guys. We're going to talk about why sleep is important. We're going to talk about you know, how you can implement some certain strategies and really why you need to and why should you implement these strategies to get fat loss happening faster and to get better performance in the gym so you can get those lifts up as well. So Ryan, like, I think the biggest thing when you're looking at this, man, why do you think sleep is so important? Yeah, definitely. I think sleep in like modern lifestyle is obviously something that the majority of people are underslept and there is a real big focus on training and calories and all these things that you just touched on then, but without having that foundational support, which is how you recover, which is sleep, you, you really lose out on a lot of progression and not only do you lose out on progression, uh, transforming your body is obviously an extended process. You're more likely to cut that, that duration that you can change your body short um, by shortchanging yourself on sleep. So. That's, I guess, why I would say sleep is such an important pillar. Cool. And what about yourself, Ben? What do you think about sleep being so important? Yeah, I mean, look, the way I would just simplify it to any client or, you know, in any seminar is basically to say, listen, the hardest people I ever work with are the ones that have poor sleep. That's all you need to know. Uh, yeah. Poor sleep is like trying to get results with a client, like squeezing blood out of a stone. And I'm just like, where do you want to be on the spectrum of my clients who get results? Do you want to be up that end of the bell curve with those guys that are getting really good results? Or do you want to be down this end where everything we do is hard? Okay? Yeah. And it's just about getting that skin in the game. Because I was, I was saying, Ryan, literally just before you jumped on, Ben, like you can definitely get results with less sleep. So if you sleep five hours a night, you can definitely get results, but you're going to be craving more food. Your performance is going to be worse in the gym. You're going to lose more muscle mass with weight loss than just fat mass. So then your overall end game is going to take longer when you're trying to gain muscle and have that end physique goal. So you can do it, but you're just making it harder. So it's like trying to fight someone with one arm tied behind your back. Like you'd, you'd fight better with two hands in front of you. So why would you not focus on sleep so you can fight fat loss or body transformation with two hands in front of you? Like it's just, I just don't understand why someone would try and achieve a transformation with not having one of the main pillars like in place that makes it so much easier. I think that's the biggest reason I, I love to look at the sleep aspect of it. You know, I'm not the best at sleeping with two young kids and business and then you are seeing the effects of sleep <laughs> um, um, with the little ones. So I, I think you, we can definitely understand it. And Ryan, I think, you know, Friday nights is your lack of sleep. So like, I, I don't know, well, probably less now. Um, but with this, man, is there any specific studies that ha highlighted um, you know, sleep, lack of sleep and correlation of decreased fat loss or um, anything you can see, Ryan? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when, I work, when we're working with clients here at RBT, it's two major studies, which is people that are in the, the camp of, I'm trying to lose weight. And the interesting study that we had and that what they found was that approximately one hour of sleep restriction on five nights a week, which if we look at most people, that's generally all of us, led to less proportion of fat mass 
lost in individuals undergoing hypercaloric weight loss. So when they're in a calorie deficit, despite similar weight loss. So basically to sum that up, what they found is if you're sleeping less than six hours a night, 83% of the weight that you lose is gonna come from your muscle. If you're sleeping more than eight hours a night, 81% on average of that weight was coming from fat. So it was really as simple, and me and Benny have run through this, it's, it's as simple as saying to someone you're working with, like, hey, you're going through all this hard training, you're dieting, you're changing your lifestyle, do you wanna lose weight from muscle or do you wanna lose it from fat? And yeah. that has a lot of flow on effects that obviously contribute to that um, being a problem. And I know that study, man, I think the funny thing is then people will start going, oh, but can't I just like, you know, sleep more on the weekends? And that sleep actually had people, study had people sleeping more on the weekends as well. And they still had that negative response, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that goes into the same thing where most people think that they can make up a sleep debt and that only ends up being relatively half as effective when you're trying to play catch up sleep. So it, it highlights the importance of consistency and routine and habits around sleep and, and being sure that you, you're aware of how long you're sleeping for each night, which we, I'm sure we're going to get into a few strategies of that. The other study that looked on weight gain, so basically when we have clients that are trying to add muscle, the goal there is to add as much lean muscle as possible, minimise the fat gain. What they found in the largest, most diverse, healthy sample study to date under controlled lab conditions, sleep-restricted, restriction promoted weight gain. And what you see generally with a lot of clients that have to spend time in an extended calorie surplus in order to build muscle, they're more likely if they're sleep restricted to go for poorer food choices that are more calorie dense and blow right over their macros. And what that leads to is obviously excessive fat gain and means that they're gonna to have to diet sooner than they would have liked. And that's gonna limit how much muscle they can put on. Now, like without going too sciencey with this, cause obviously wanna make sure everyone understands what's going on. That study you did talk about, they did see um, a decrease in leptin by 24%. So like this, what does leptin mean? If you're decreasing your leptin by like around 24%, what does that mean to someone's metabolic rate or what someone's you know, energy efficiency? What happens then? Well, Benny, I might throw you on that one because um, I know you got the biochem, so you're probably a better person to answer that. <laughs> uh, look, I mean, all I was like, for the sake of keeping this simple, uh, Trevor, I'll just say, listen, um, our body has um, a set of hormones that are designed to tell us our energy storage. So how fat we are, okay? When uh, all things are going well, and if we've overconsumed, then we're holding excess body fat, uh, the fat can basically signal the brain and say, hey, you're good here. And that can have a, um, a set of physiological outcomes, which are designed to um, uh, you know, decrease food intake, uh, increase energy expenditure, you know, upregulate things like thyroid activity um, and, uh, you know, our set sex hormones in a way that's conducive to uh, achieving normal weight balance. Okay. So uh, that's basically how the system, when it's not broken, is designed to work. And that's why the body will basically defend a certain um, uh, level of fatness within that as well. So if you try to eat too much, it really does have a set of systems built in to uh, try and assist you to stop eating and move more. Okay. Yeah. The, system, the system doesn't always work though. And that's what we're really seeing uh, when the rubber meets the road um, with you know, chronic stress, sleep deprivation and these kind of things. This is how we break that system. Okay? Yeah. So all, all of a sudden we have these cravings. We have a sedentary lifestyle that we're combating against. Um, so the odds are stacked against us. And then, you know, when we add this sleep deprivation into the mix, it, it only gets worse. In fact, it caves exponentially quick, not because, even linear. 
Yeah, with this, like even when you're going into a calorie deficit over time, leptin is already decreasing. So your metabolic rate or your thyroid function is downregulating again. So then you add sleep deprivation into the mix, which is just an hour or less or so of sleep. So then leptin's decreasing again. So it's making it even harder to lose fat or your body's downregulating movement on a daily basis because of it. I think the other thing is when we're looking at like why are people more hungry, the same study has said there was like 20% increase in ghrelin. So like with ghrelin, if it's increased by 26%, what does that mean, Benny? So we're just basically going to have that dysregulation of appetite. So again, like we've already, um, the body's already holding on to enough fat. Okay. In which case it's the, the signal should be going to the brain to say, uh, you know, you, you can stay away from extra meals, but when you start getting, um, you know, these uh, distinctions in ghrelin and leptin, the system's broken. Okay. So yeah. we're just going, cool. Uh, let's eat more calories. I feel, um, uh, you know, hungry. I'm not, I'm not satiated. I'm not yes. satisfied. Uh, I'm going for poorer food choices. And then we end up in this hyperpalatable, hypercaloric intake, which only, you know, exacerbates the obesity uh, issue. So the biggest thing is like with this study is showing a decrease in leptin. So it's harder to lose weight and increasing ghrelin, making you want to eat more. So now you're eating more and losing less weight. So you're in, Okay, it's very, it makes it harder for the person to get their desired outcome over time. I think that's the biggest thing we're trying to look at right now. Yeah, but we could sort of step back, a, you know, a second from looking at the, um, the physiology. Yeah. And just look at, look at the behaviors aspect, because I yeah. actually think that's what is an actionable item here for, for people. And that is, um, you know, when we have this, this uh, sleep deprivation okay we're going to on average consume two to three hundred calories more per meal in a in a setting in which you know perhaps you're not tracking and and um uh, on top of your game so that being said you know just the general person who's just trying to lose a little bit of weight and trying to eat well maybe they're doing it a little bit intuitively they're not um you know tracking the numbers as such and exerting some form of willpower to stop themselves from over consuming um, you give them less sleep and they're basically going to consume on average two to 300 calories more per meal. You add that up over the course of meals in the week and you can see how that gets out of hand very quickly. Well, that ends up being, you know, even if you're having just three to four meals a day, it's like 7,000 calories a week of excess they're having from sleeping less, which is pretty crazy. Um, yeah. And, and there's no, there's no, um, there's no positive, uh, outcome that's associated with that excess intake you know what i mean because you're dealing with someone who's underslept okay like you're gonna, gonna have major fatigue uh you know we're gonna have other issues in the area of life uh training is gonna be worse so it's not like you're getting the added benefits of just going hey i'm gonna go on a hypercaloric diet consume a, a, a lot more calories for the sake of um you know enjoying myself and, and maybe having some improved um benefits with recovery or performance that you were looking for yeah okay. no positives all negatives cool yeah. cool so when you're looking at this ryan what do you think is the minimum amount of sleep people should be looking for on a nightly basis yeah definitely just to touch on that last one i think especially like now what we have is like a time of year christmas where people are going to be exposed to the most amount of food they're going to be exposed to all year it's going to be the most caloric dense you have those changes in those hormones regulating appetite, people are most likely to be intuitively eating at this time of year as well. So yeah. like personally, I have the most clients saying, look, I mean, I'm not tracking the numbers specifically this year. Let's leave it to January. So they're already eating by feel. If you underslept during this period over Christmas, you're 100% more likely to fall victim in an environment that promotes overeating. 
or, or it's probably the time of the year you probably should track the most you know yeah. if you're trying to get a result if you're trying to get a result that is right yeah now's the time to at least hit your maintenance calories and keep an eye on those things um yeah. if you underslept you're obviously making that a whole lot harder for yourself um in terms of the uh, hours of sleep so a minimum of eight hours so seven and a half hours looks like a passable yeah. mark but then if you add hard training into the mix definitely looking at eight hours eight to nine hours and and that's a bit person dependent as well Okay, cool. So what, what's the, like the, do you have any look at the performance effects or the cognitive effects of sleep um, as far as how that impacts people on a daily basis? Yeah, definitely. So generally speaking, I've got a bit of a list here um, and we highlighted stuff that's basically a health hazard. So stuff that can kill you quicker, which is obviously no good. Things that are going to affect your performance. Um, so things like increasing blood pressure, increased cardiovascular risk, increased Alzheimer's risk, risk of cancer, severity and risk of depression and immune function. Those are all things that are going to obviously affect your health long-term, um, something to avoid. And then you have things like decreased physical performance, time to uh, exhaustion, um, emotional regulation, mood and stress management, which is a huge one when we look at nutrition decisions, muscle hypertrophy, uh, decreased comp uh, concentration, um, so a lot of those factors that are going to affect both your performance in the gym, your ability to tolerate pain, um, your ability to sustain endurance during Metcom workouts, for instance, yep. at RBT, as well as make consistent nutritional decisions throughout the day. So it's almost like that perfect storm of both factors being hit. Yeah, cool. What about yourself, Ben? What do you reckon? Yeah, I'd just sort of uh, like expand on the that to like an uh, injury management perspective. You know, I... I know I talk about this when I talk to the trainers and I say, listen, like um, your underslept members, uh, you know, 1.7 times more likely to have an injury. Okay. And uh, so, so that's, you know, something that we obviously want to address. And, you know, furthermore, when it comes to things like skill acquisition. So when someone's yeah. doing, uh, you know, weights training, resistance, doesn't matter, whatever type of training they do, there's a skill to it. Okay. Where we're constantly evolving and learning skills and, um, part of the way that sleep really integrates with like memory and, and skill acquisition is that, you know, something that you learn in a given day. So let's say a trainer has a member down on the floor, um, spending some time with them, queuing and, and uh, improving technique on a deadlift. Yep. Okay. Uh, we, we see a, a, a great uh, change in the form, in the technique. And um, now all things going well, if that member goes home, gets to bed, uh, nice and early and gets a good seven to eight hours of sleep. What basically happens is we take uh, a lot of the, the things we've learned and we, we consolidate them in our deep sleep. Okay. Now we get more deep sleep before midnight and this is where sleep uh, before midnight is a little bit different from the sleep we get after and, and sort of uh, towards the early uh, hours of the morning. So in that consolidation process, we're really taking things from short-term memory into long-term memory. It's like taking it off the USB stick and putting it into the, the big hard drive. Okay. And this has to happen every single day. But then in the morning, what we get is this integration of that uh, newly acquired knowledge and skills with pre the, the catalog or the library of everything you've learned before it. So think about all the other sessions and, and um, uh, advice and cueing that that members uh, received from, you know, the trainers and, and uh, their journey through health and fitness. What's going on is it's that integration process in the early hours of the morning. So this is, uh, you know, and I know Ryan and I both play this game a little bit with um, when we're talking to people about sleep. It's like, well, what would you prefer to sacrifice? You know, going to bed late at night and sacrificing some of that deep sleep 
or having to wake up early and sacrificing uh, some of that sleep in the early hours of the morning. Because really, there's no good answer there. <laughs> it's a lose-lose. Okay, so um, you know, that's an important aspect that carries over, by the way, with any form of learning. So you know, you want, I always relate this back to whatever's important in the, the member's life. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, is it you're going to go to a job interview? If you, you're learning new things at work, or you know, whatever it is, maybe you're having problems with memory and um, recall of people's names. Okay, these are all some of the aspects of like what we, uh, how sleep integrates with all that. Yeah, man, it was, it was so interesting. I obviously even knew that he was doing this podcast. So I was reading a bunch of studies before we sort of started, and one of the things I thought was interesting was skill acquisition. They did a study on a college basketball team, and they made them stay in bed for ten hours a night. Um, and sleep went from 6.6 hours to 8.4 hours on average on a night. Now, over that study, improvements in sprint times went up by 0.7 seconds. Free throw and three-point accuracy went up by 9%. Um, reaction time increased by 13%. Um, and obviously, they felt better. Then they did another study on college tennis players. And um, essentially, they went to nine hours, including like day naps. So it went from 7.1 to 9.1 hours. Serving accuracy went up by 14.3%. Like, so if we're looking at things like this, now people aren't playing basketball and playing tennis right now when they're listening, but they're doing everything else. If they're doing a power clean, if they're doing anything that has some form of skill acquisition and any type of accuracy, even if you're playing with your kids and your kids falling off the monkey bars, like if I'm moving faster to save that kid because I slept better, like that's what it's all about. And I think, you know, those stats are pretty crazy. If you can improve by more than 10% just because you increased your sleep by an hour, like that's a pretty, pretty crazy stat. And yeah. it's just actually getting your, your head on the pillow. And I think what's important here, and this is kind of anal analogous to uh, something we highlighted in the first podcast, Trav, when we were talking about some general nutrition stuff in, uh, in conjunction with um, end of year, the silly season. And that is that, you know, performance is something in which you can eat like crap and still go out there and have a really good performance, okay? There are certain individuals in this world, they're going to be Olympic athletes no matter what they eat, yeah. okay? And there are certain individuals in this world that are going to be at that level in spite of poor sleep. Mm. That doesn't make it, okay, that the, um, the objective from, the, from a general population perspective. Like, we don't want to use that. And that's what we'll find amongst... Um, particularly with poor sleepers, it's, it's this badge of honor these days. Right? Yeah. And um, so we'll, we'll, they'll defend that position. And I, I know Ryan's talked about this before when he's uh, been teaching the coaches about um, uh, somebody's got a clinic over the, in the yeah. States where they'll... Ryan, what is that? Yeah, so it, I saw um, a read, Sachin Panda, that was in his book, The Circadian Code, and he was talking about one of his colleagues has a sleep lab open. Uh, to anyone that thinks that they can perform uh, optimally or as well as they did pre pre testing with less than six hours sleep. And he hasn't found anyone that can maintain their cognitive performance, even though despite obviously a lot of us do claim to be able to operate optimally off less than sleep, six hours sleep. So yeah. yeah. Was, okay. And that just goes to show the discrepancy um, when you don't have that sleep. So when you're sleep deprived, you lose that subjective analysis uh, accuracy on yourself. Okay. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm okay. I do. Okay. I do this. Mm -hmm. But what we see in a, you know, a really overwhelming sense of the literature is, uh, is not that whatsoever. And that given the opportunity, if we can put uh, poor sleepers in a routine where they improve their sleep across the board, everything. And I mean, everything basically improves. 
But I think with this, the funny thing is some people have slept poorly for so long, they don't know what it's what that to feel like if they slept well. Um, so it's like, if I've had bad sleep last two, three, four, ten years, my familiarity kicks in. It's like, you know, when you, when you buy a brand new car, you like, you love that car, you know, all of a sudden you park away from other cars and so no one scratches it. And then over time, someone scratches that car six months later and then 12 months later, you know, like essentially, you know, got three or four scratches and now it's just a car. And then all of a sudden you treat it differently. And the same with our sleep. It's like, if you used to sleep great, you're like amazing. And then over time, you might've started sleeping poorly one night, two nights. You're like, oh, I feel a bit off. And then like six months later, two years later, 10 years later, this is just your life. You wake up, you have low energy, you overeat, you're training before you get injured and niggled all the time. And it's like, this is just what life is. And if they can actually change their sleep hygiene or you know sleep tactics and feel what life could be like, all of a sudden they could feel superhuman essentially with their energy, their mood and their training performance but they just don't know that that's even possible anymore. And yeah, and this is something me and Ben have touched on like with clients, when working with clients, you ask someone like, how do you sleep on holidays? And most people will first off you lead off with how do you sleep now? And most people are going to tell you, yeah, it's fine. I sleep fine. I, I, I can perform well day to day. And then you, you pose them a question. It's like, well, how do you sleep on holidays? And you always get the response. It's like, oh, I sleep 10 hours. Like I'm playing. And you can tell is like that person's playing catch up on holidays. And they're sleeping 10 hours. And what you usually find is then that eventually like levels out if they're going on a three, four week holiday. But they always feel better because of it. They're always talking about like, oh, I feel so good, so much energy. And usually what happens, which is, this is even the funniest thing is we have a lot of clients that will go away on holidays, sleep really well, eat in, intuitively, come back and have lost weight. And what's happened? They've decreased their stress, they've increased their sleep, they've probably decreased their incidental eating across the day. And when they come back, they, they go, like, what, what happened here? So a lot of the times we are, like, trying to bring, obviously, that sleep environment that they're getting out on holidays back here. So if we're looking at this, for anyone listening, you know, to get skin in the game of why you should, you know, listen to these sleep hygiene and sleep tactics we're going to talk about next, the skin in the game is if you're going to train over the next sort of 12 weeks and try and lose body fat, you know, instead of losing a higher percentage of muscle mass, you lose a higher percentage of fat mass and whilst in that calorie deficit, you're going to start craving less food all the time. Um, your metabolic rate will be a little bit more stable. You probably will be less of a, an asshole or a bitch to your partner um, because your mood will be more stable. I think that's a big thing because our moods are unstable as well. People at work will probably like you more. You might even make a friend um, because your mood is more stable as well. That's actually completely true. Like, you know, <laughs> what you're saying right now. So, you know, Matthew Walker has described this brilliantly on many podcasts and, and you know, in his book, uh, and he's a, a, you know, a sleep neuroscientist researcher. Uh, his lab has published a lot of literature, but, you know, he, he describes it as, um, uh, you know, like the, uh, like in a loneliness aspect, okay? Because he's really interested in that field. And basically when you're underslept um, and if strangers were to completely, um, who don't know you, but to, guess uh you know how lonely you were you mm. appear more lonely and even worse than that you're less approachable so instinctually within us when someone is underslept they they are less approachable uh, for that person and this is something that comes back to so i talk about this with our trainers because obviously yeah. shifting from a uh, let's say a normal career into one where you're a, a trainer and maybe having to uh, get up quite early 
uh, you know, we're always talking to the guys about, look, if you're going to last in the long run here, we really need to protect your sleep, okay? Because as a coach who's working with, with either one-on-ones or in a group setting, if you're underslept, you're not approachable, okay? <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if, you're, if you're an arsehole, you lose clients. <laughs> yeah, so, so maybe it's not the tattoos, it's not the shaved yeah. head, it's not the couple of kilos of extra muscle, Trav. It was just, the, the, we were just unapproachable a few years back because we were underslept. Exactly. It's just, that was <laughs> a mood, it was a mood frequency like coming off of me because I wasn't sleeping enough. But like, yeah, yeah. honestly, guys, I think this is one of the biggest things, right? Like, if you become a happier person and more approachable person, I think normally we look at the extremes in society with everything, right? So we're like, we look at the people that sleep all the time, look, they're great. And then we look at the people who are heavily underslept. So I remember when like Liv was underslept, she like crazy stuff when people, like you see these sad stories, like a mom's underslept and she forgets that she leaves her kid in the car, like crazy yeah. shit like that. But like Liv literally would be like, forgetting that there was even petrol in the car there wasn't petrol in the car and so many times she nearly didn't like get home because she like you just you cognitively not there she was getting injured more like ryan was actually training with when just after um we had finn and like she was getting injured a lot because her sleep was so poor because of it so like we look at that's an extreme like a mum having a new baby but then like the rest of the population oh one hour won't make a difference like Ryan just said it before, like one hour makes a massive difference going from seven to eight hours or six and a half to seven and a half hours can dramatically shift, uh, help dramatically shift the body composition. Yeah, hundred percent. And I guess when you look at that, it's also like, what's the quality of the sleep that you're getting? And mm. a lot of the times when you have someone track their sleep, it's, you know, it's, tracking it when they enter their bed but they might be using you know their laptop or phone or whatever in bed so if you if you're trying to track your sleep you really need to track it from the second that you decide that hey that's it i'm actually going to bed now this is this is the time so you can get an accurate uh so gauge of how long you've been sleeping for because it does make everything so much harder and if you do see um if you do start to track things you can start to measure them adjust them and you're more likely to obviously make a change off that so then some people might be going, oh, you know what, like I'm good. Even if I'm craving more food, I can, I've got the discipline to not overeat and you know, what, all the rest of it. Um, but also sleep has an effect of you know, performance, right? So workload tolerance decreases, physique resi- fatigue resistance changes. Like, so if you can't put the same work ethic in the gym, that's going to sh- have a, an effect on your body fat loss or composition as well, right, Ryan? Absolutely. And one of those things is for clients that say that they have the willpower to outlast sleep, they're so wrong. Your body is so well versed to fight against that sort of fatigue. Um, and, and basically what it is, is just chronic death. So your body's not going to allow you to chronically undersleep. You can't, your willpower won't survive that. Um, and anyone that's been through a similar position will know. But yeah, you get a decreased time to exhaustion, a decreased performance, physical performance. Um, so measure that as, as a result of like reps to failure, you got a decrease in your aerobic output, uh, a decrease in your need. So, you know, decreasing across basically every domain of physical fitness. And if you have a decrease in your physical fitness and a decrease in your ability to recover from the work that you're doing, you have a decreased ability to adapt to what you're doing. And depending on your level of, uh, your training age, this can start, this can sort of manifest itself in either A, an injury, B, a plateau, or C, a regression. You could just end up going backwards. And you see that in advanced lifters. You know, they get to a certain point, 
they've got to that point being underslept and that point will no longer uh, afford them the same level of progress. So yeah, you have a decrease across all those, those domains. Awesome. Do I have anything to add to that, Benny? No, I think you just sort of touched on before or Ryan did that, um, uh, you know, what you track and measure, you can improve. Um, yeah. and, and so, you know, every single one of my <clears throat> clients tracks at least total sleep uh, through either an app on the phone or a, like a wearable device. Um, and then at least we get a bit of insight as to whether or not this is an issue. And I would just take it one step further, just, you know, providing some anecdotal experience on my behalf from coaching a lot of people with sleep issues is, um, I would go so far to say that on average, an increase of 15 minutes, not even an hour of 15 minutes, uh, per, per night across the week, uh, affords or lends itself to improvements in other key performance indicators that I'm looking at and even, you know, subjectively how that client feels. Okay. So, you know, if I get someone who's starting off on average at five and a half hours sleep per night, I literally mean if I can shift that person to five and three quarter hours, it's already like good or better. Yeah. And, and, th and therefore we gain momentum and skin in the game to keep improving it up to what we would consider an optimal amount, that being somewhere between seven and eight hours sleep. So when we're looking at this guys, what's like the, there's no perfect time, but what time should people try and get to bed, Ryan? So Ben's uh, giving me a lot of information on this, but basically you're trying to mimic the light dark cycle as much as possible. So that's going to strengthen your circadian rhythm. So obviously this is going to be relative to what a person can practically and realistically implement. But I would say, obviously this is going to be seasonal. So during the summer, maybe somewhere between like nine and 10 PM could be all right. And it's also determined by when you wake up, so your total duration. And then in the winter, you know, allowing yourself to sleep in a little longer, going to bed sooner after the sun's down. So somewhere around similar, like anywhere between I'd say eight thirty to nine thirty at night. So good, good to the target. Awesome. Benny. All good. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, again, just to expand a little bit on that is just to kind of set the scene in that what's happened over, um, let's call it the digital age. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, where we're at right now is basically it's an endless day rather than a succinct day and a succinct night. Okay. So our exposure to light has changed so dramatically um, in the last hundred and 110 years or whatever it is now since we kind of invented the light globe okay uh, and we've gone through you know we went through the um you know agricultural age into the industrial age and now we're in the digital age and what we now have is many of us work indoors okay with not the same level of exposure to um the strength or the intensity and spectrum of light that is contained within natural sunlight and uh, the sunlight is, uh, this light dark cycle is a zeitgeber, meaning it's a cue for the internal time management systems in the body that help regulate our health and everything that we've, we've already talked about. So I'm forever talking to clients about perhaps downloading a, what's called like a, an app like D-Minder, which is a, um, a sunlight um, exposure app to help you optimize your vitamin D levels. Now, the reason I like this is obviously we have to toe the line here and be careful about sun exposure as well uh, for, you know, skin cancer risk and things like that. Uh, but I'm just going to mention that the reason why you're saying that is you don't want someone to start hating you telling you people are going to get outside and get in the sun. Yeah. People are going to start saying, Benny, yeah. you're telling everyone to go get cancer. 
That's exactly why I preface it. Uh, so, but, but, but look, in the DMinder app, you can put in your, um, you know, your previous vitamin D levels, your skin color, your, like how much clothing you wear, and it can help uh, you kind of optimize your time spent in uh, sunlight given your um, location and the weather on any given day. Now, that's a really cool experiment to help some people uh, or members realize, wow, I really do not get much sun exposure whatsoever. Now, what this does, instead of creating a nice peak with our circadian rhythm of alertness and um, you know, arousal in terms of, yep, it's time to go out and do things during the day, we never really get that. So it sort of dimmed down a little bit. And then to make it worse, what's happening is we're exposed to these artificial light sources after the sun sets, uh, which basically suppresses our melatonin, this hormone that we um, release throughout the night to you know, assist with a lot of recovery and, and repair processes um, that occur within the brain and the body. So actionable items on this front are moderating an adequate level of sun exposure or light exposure through the day. Now, we might be habit stacking that with getting outside, some stress management. We kind of alluded this to this in the last yeah. podcast, Trav. Um, that can all be like a really positive little um, ha habit that we um, go and do that can assist us with that. And uh, whatever ways that we can mitigate that exposure to artificial light after dark, especially the screens. The screens are the mm -hmm. big one because they're very high in the spectrum of light, the blue light spectrum, uh, and that'll really suppress that melatonin. So some actionable things that I have my clients do is, uh, you know, they might put the... Um, uh, what are they called? Like the flux app or the, the night mode on their, their devices. I don't actually trust either of those. Okay. They don't release the stats. Um, I can tell you from my experience with clients that they do not get the same effect as if they're not switched on whatsoever. Yep. I think a step up from there is to get yourself a set of blue blocking visors. Okay. Yes. You're going to look weird. You're going to look like an X-Man. That's okay. You know what I mean? Um, but eh, like nearly, Everyone I've given those, and I don't like being the, that little device guy. It's really, I don't want to get known for that, but this is a piece of tech which is relatively cheap, very easy to use and build the habit. And usually within seven days, I will have a client turn around and they will tell me the kind of impact that it's made upon their sleep patterns. Yep. So I like it for that reason. I think like well, everyone moves to supplementation really fast, right? So if you're going to start like buying melatonin and start supplementing with that, you can start by just buying some blue blocker glasses and just throw them on to start with and see how that changes it before you start having to take pills for the rest of your life so you can sleep better. Now exactly. with like with this man, like going on about the melatonin, obviously if you look at, you know, creating your environment to help support that melatonin will increase like and help you get to sleep. You look at Vegas, um, you know, if anyone's ever been to Vegas, that whole, like, I don't know if, if you guys have been to Vegas. Have you been to Vegas, Ryan? No. Uh, Benny, have you been to Vegas? I thought you were going to start talking about the Vegas nerve. but um, No, no, no. no. Oh, no. Which, 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 which pretty much tells you that I haven't been to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> well, what happens when you go to Vegas, like, it could be like 3 a.m. And you don't even know it's 3 a.m. You think it's like midday. And, like, you don't get tired. Like, you just keep going and going. I swear that whole environment that they, there's like bells ringing, lights are on, flashing in front of your face. And the whole thing is there to, I feel, to suppress melatonin and make you just stay awake the whole time. And you have, you lose complete track of time. Now, I yeah. feel like some people's environment in their house is very similar to Vegas these days. Ryan's got a really good example of that. Um, what yeah. is it, Ryan? The, the, this versus that. Um, that we use yeah, with clients yeah. and members. So, like in terms of that Vegas, like 
at my old place. So I couldn't fall asleep. This was when I was coaching with Bang. I couldn't fall asleep. And I kept opening my eyes. And then one day I opened my eyes. There's a crack in the curtain right next to my bed. And through it, I can see the Melbourne eye. <laughs> lighting up and going crazy. I was like, that's what that is. So in terms of getting essentially skin the game, like what you're looking for is like lifestyle substitutions clients can make to actually make a difference in their sleep. There's a couple of different options here. So like, for instance, if you put to someone like, yes, you're going to use a screen before you go to bed, that's what's realistic for you, is playing something like Fortnite or a video game versus watching something like David Attenborough. What's going to be more stimulating? So yeah. that's, that's an example of both are blue-lit emitted devices. One is far more psychologically engaging. It plays off like Fortnite looks like Vegas in a video game. So it's True. <laughs> so that's that's an option and then you look at you know further down from that something like game of thrones versus reading under candlelight and that's candlelight emits a, a white light that a, a light wave that's similar to exactly wearing those blue blockers so you can see how something's less psychologically involving and one is not uh being the victim or, or using that blue light and then the third one this is more so stress is, you know, are you having arguments before bed or are you getting into a sleep routine comfortably and, and setting yourself up for a good night of sleep? So they're just a few uh, scenarios that I post to clients when I, when I try to change or give them strategies to change their sleep environment. Yeah, because look, I think, you know, Ryan and I would be um, on the same page with this is that often when you're dealing with someone who's underslept, they tell you they've tried everything. Mm. and you know we, it's just not true okay it's because like what we tend to see is like a half ass attempt at like oh i tried to go uh, to bed early for one night i basically stared at the ceiling for like three hours what a waste of time that was mm. this, this is this is not for me i'm okay okay and so there's a bunch of that's the story that you know they're telling themselves and so, you know, when we're creating this skin in the game, creating value, um, you know, tracking it as a metric or a KPI that we know that we can improve, these are the kind of habits, substitutions that we're looking for, these behaviors. It's like, right, stop checking your phone, okay? Like, we've got to have these boundaries, like, okay, when do emails stop? Okay, when does social media stop? Okay, and what you're basically doing is we're looking to see what some things can be abstained, like removed yeah. straight away. That's out. That's a clear boundary. Other things might be moderated or titrated. And this kind of, again, comes back to what we talked about with nutrition, moderation versus, versus abstinence for some people. So, uh, you know, if we can get people using uh, or to stop using overhead lighting, to switch off, uh, you know, electric or digital devices earlier, uh, to use things like flame or candle or, you know, um, any of those lower... We actually use Himalayan salt lamps in our house and that's not because they have some kind of witchcraft. It's because it's because they create a red glow. Although yeah. I tell some really interesting stories to, uh, to our mates and visitors. It's completely untrue, by the way, when they listen to this. Uh, but literally, because that red glow is just... It's very relaxing, okay? Yeah. Um, there's something... I know when I'm in front of a fire, it's like, it's hypnotic, you know what I mean? Just, I like to stare at it. It's very peaceful and calming. Whereas, you know, if I got onto, um, you know, the PlayStation or, you know, anything like that, fighting games or drama on TV, like those kind of shows that, uh, like reality TV shows, oh, yeah, like worse. Liv, like, Liv cannot sleep after watching a thriller. Cause she's like, <laughs> she's like, oh my gosh. She's like, can we watch something like Big Bang Theory now before we go to yeah. sleep? Because I feel like I just need to calm the fuck down. Um, yeah. So it's like, 
it's not watching those shows that are going to get you pumped up or get you like your heart rate buzzing. Um, like I think for me, I find sleep environment so crucial from where we were, like we just moved we were living like on Beaconsfield parade with like cars roaring down past us nonstop on the beach. Um, and, but also the difference between when I had the blinds up and versus the blinds down, like, I think a lot of people don't realize the difference. If you've got streetlights coming into your, your, um, your room, wherever you are, like I used to wake up like three, four times a night. I'd be like, Oh shit, I forgot to, to put down the blinds, put down the blinds. And I sleep so well, but then I don't get forced to wake up as well. Cause my sleep is so much rested as well. I feel like so much more rejuvenated in the morning. So I think like when we're looking at optimizing your sleep environment, what are the key things that you should look like in a room, Ryan? What do you reckon? Yeah, so I guess when you're looking at sleep quality, it's not only just duration, it's the timing, which we touched on the circadian rhythm and also the quality. It's And the best measure of quality, even if you're looking at tracking things, is always going to be how do you wake up in the morning? Do you feel refreshed and rejuvenated? So in terms of creating a sleep environment, that's optimal. Uh, what you're looking for is, is a cool environment. So you don't want to have a lot of hot air coming in. You're not trying to blast the heater. Um, you're sleeping in a naturally cool environment. You're minimizing that blue light exposure, that overhead light exposure. You're trying to remove or treat the bedroom as a place of rest and of sleep. And what that means is in your day-to-day life, you're not trying to spend too much time in your bedroom for other things. Um, so looking at uh, those things, that's what you're trying to create with your environment before you take a step back and you start looking at strategies you can implement to assist your sleep further. So, like, I guess so it's making sure in dark room, making sure you're starting to get rid of blue light, making sure, so that before you start even doing any type of supplementation, you have to create an environment first and, like, try that out. Um, yeah, I, I, think, I think people shouldn't really be playing around with supplementation. Yeah. Like, when it, when it comes to sleep, very... I'm very wary of a lot of supplements out there. Um, you know, not that we have, there are gaps in the literature, for instance, even with melatonin, like um, I've seen studies in rats, which um, when they, they gave them melatonin, I think they infused it, but then they exposed them to blue light. Like there was actually more oxidative stress and damage. And I'm like, okay, so I don't have any human data on this, but what happens if my clients are taking melatonin and then staying up playing Fortnite? You know what I mean? Like what happens if five years down the track, we discover like that is the absolute worst case scenario for someone. So, um, you know, and melatonin, it's a hormone. You've got to take it for, it's a serious thing. Okay. So, you know, that sleep environment, these are the foundational low hanging fruit that people don't, people don't want to do, but they have to do. Because everyone wants to out-supplement a poor sleep hygiene, right? That's that's exactly right. And, you know, some some of my clients have to have their phones out of their room. It's that anticipatory yeah. anxiety of basically, I mean, I think literally they interviewed uh, school kids and over like 70 to 80% of them um, owned up to checking their phone at least once in the middle of night to check social media. Okay. And these are teenagers, you know, they're at a very vulnerable um, time in their lives when it comes to sleep, which we won't get into in this podcast. But, um, you know, the same thing goes for adults is that, you know, if we have an issue with the screens or, uh, you know, the phone, it should be outside the bedroom. And building on what Ryan's saying is like the bedroom's really only for sleeping and sex. Okay. That's it. Uh, If there's a TV in the bedroom, okay, again, we're creating this environment where part of that. Um, habit is staying awake and being engaged with whatever's being watched on TV. TV's got to go. Yeah. I think when we're looking at that, man, like, so 
is you were saying before, Ryan, before we get into that, but first, before you actually ever do anything, whenever you're trying to do any type of mobilization or anything like that with a client, say you're trying to, you're doing a squat and then you want to try and mobilize them and then do a squat afterwards, you do the first squat to start to see where the starting point is so they can see the difference. So before someone changes their sleep, they need to go through some form of sleep recording of what it feels like with the current sleep. So it's like record for the next three days. It's like, what time did you go to bed? What time did you wake up? How many times did you wake up? What, how, like rate one to 10, like how like alert are you when you wake up? So they can see a before and then they start to implement sleep hygiene and then they can see what there is after. So now it's like night and day. They go, oh, I actually do feel better. Um, so there is a before and after approach, just like any type of change you do with anything. Um, with this, I think like moving into some form of parasympathetic activity. So some type of wind wind down, do you like give anyone any type of meditation they can start to do or some breath work? Do you think that's beneficial, Ryan? Yeah, absolutely. I think everything's person dependent and different strategies, especially when it comes to stress reduction before bed are going to work for individuals based on their own temperament and what they have going on in their life. So some things I like to experiment with is like job diary. So I do this myself. I write all my to-do lists out before I go to bed, outside of the bedroom, at my desk. There's there's things like music. There's uh, things like taking a warm bath or a shower. And this has the double effect of, you know, heat dissipation. So for yourself, one of the physiological ways that you need uh, mechanisms of falling asleep is a decrease in your core body temperature. So a warm bath or shower can help with this, but it's also something that's relaxing, um, music and establishing more than anything is establishing a regular solid routine. So you can actually tell your body psychologically because a lot of the times when we have people that are keeping themselves up at night, it's out of habit and it's out of almost like a stubbornness to change. So if you have a solid sleep routine, whatever that is, gratefulness, journaling, meditation, using an app like that, it needs to be something that's regular, consistent, and and tells your body and your mind that it's it's time to go to bed. It's time to start winding down. I have a picture in my mind of Ryan sitting in a bath right now with some candles, listening to some form of Beethoven as he's going to bed. Is this your sleep routine then? No, side trance. I got into a habit of going to the bath and listening to side trance. But um, yeah, no. So uh, my sleep routine, personally, is just like I've only found a small combination of strategies. Is like. Job, job diary, um, uh, basically like putting my phone on the floor and then I'm out. Like, that, I fall asleep in a second. So we, we, we alluded to some habit stuff last podcast as well, Ben, but I think like when you look at any type of habits, um, you can habit stack. So like when you wake up, you have a series of habits that you can stack on top of each other and you can habit stack up to like up to 10 habits, which is like, just becomes a ritual, right? So it's like a sleep ritual or it's a waking ritual. So it's like, I wake up, I drink a glass of water, I brush my teeth, I have a shower, I put clothes on. Like, that's like this thing we don't even think about, but some people have these rituals. But over time, you might consciously, you could write it out, your sleep ritual, and then you can just go, I'm going to follow this, I'm going to follow this. And then over time, you don't even have to think about it anymore. This is just my ritual, right? It's like 8.45, I, you know, or 7.45, I put on the dim lights. You know, it could be like eight o'clock, I write some stuff down, 8.15, I jump in a warm bath or a warm shower, you know, 8.30, I listen to some, you know, like nice music, you know, 8.30, like you have this routine that all of a sudden is optimizing your whole environment to just sleep. And now this is life. So 
Ben, what about yourself? Do you have a specific wind down routine that you like? Yeah, no, it, it changes. So I, I consider it's like, it's like in flux. It, it's dynamic. It's not something that um, you have to pick one method and then when it doesn't work anymore or you're struggling to commit yourself to, you know, that given method that you can't try and put something else in. I remember there was a time when I lived very close to work. Okay, so literally three minutes away from work. Um, I was having the interesting problem. This is very much like a first world problem uh, of like, I basically I would, it would come to five o'clock or whatever time I was knocking off and I would shut the computer screens down. I would drive home. I'd be there before, you know, two traffic lights and I'm there and I would walk in the door and my mind would still be going a million miles an hour. And what I would brought into my home, into my safe spot, my haven was just a version of myself that wasn't there yet. I wasn't present. I was still trying to close down the tabs. Okay. In my mind. And so, you know, what I started doing was um, listening to some classical music, which I love in the car. And then I would basically listen to another two or three songs, just closing my eyes, doing some breath work um, before I would enter into my house. And I would just bring a version of myself home that was present and much, much calmer. Okay. Ready to basically start that wind down process. And this is the thing with sleep hygiene and these habits is um, people try to start them too late. Okay. Yeah. And it really starts like it starts in the morning. Okay. So like it really does start in yeah. the morning. Um, but that's what I did. And then I sort of, re I brought it even further forwards by then I started shutting down all my um, screens 15 minutes before I left work and I started doing it at work. So then by the time I got in the car, I was driving home slower now. Okay. I was like, literally like driving Miss Daisy uh, on the way home. I was just far more chilled out. So those are some of the things that, you know, if you really have trouble like just leaving work at work, that worked very well for me. These days, what I'm doing is actually, um, that's not a problem. So to help me get to sleep at night, I've got an audio book in my ear of a, um, a fiction. Okay, so something, and it's actually something, it's gotta be something I've already read before. And now all that, I have no vested interest in knowing how this story ends, okay? Yeah. Or, or even the minutia, the details of the storyline, um, because I've already read it. Okay, so but what it does is it just provides me with this really slow, kind of steady, and then I'm usually out very quickly, and then I just I turn off the audiobook and I'm done. So, you know, that's something that's been working really well for me. And just to touch on what Ryan talked about before with body temperature, that's probably my main issue is that, um, you know, I run very hot, it's very hard for me to cool down. Uh, having just, you know, Ruben's four weeks old tomorrow. So I've got like a newborn in the house. I can't go pumping the air conditioner anymore. Yep. I'm, I'm in the spare bed for the time being. So talking about what Ryan pointed out before, it's a different environment. I'm struggling to go into a deeper sleep. Uh, so, um, you know, one of the things I'm actually going to look at is a, um, a chili pad. Okay. So and that's sort of a, a mat that can cool you down that you can put on the mattress uh, because I don't want to be pumping the air con, you know, on Ruben's, you know, um, airways right now and um you know zoe would zoe's gonna kill me so um i'm well, gonna figure out another solution to that the amount of times that Liv said to me you're so hot don't touch me in bed it's ridiculous <laughs> right it's like it's like why are you always so hot like what's wrong with you i was like i don't know i'm just hot just just yeah. stop telling me i'm, I'm <laughs> not to touch you <laughs> yeah. like for me like i literally sleep no blanket just lying there on my bed just <laughs> that's how I sleep. And it was like, got the rug over her and all this. It's like, I just can't sleep with a rug over me because I just, I am always running at a different temperature. Um, yeah. But I think with this, like I had trouble sleeping for a long time. 
Um, yes, I got the blue blockers. Yes, we just watch TV at in the TV area. Yes, now I don't have my phone in the room. Um, yes, essentially, like people say to me, it's like, oh, but I need my phone next to me because it's my alarm. I'm like, if your phone is in with arm reaching distance and it is your alarm, that's something that's probably the worst thing because that's when you press snooze as well. Yep. Um, but, 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 but see, Trav, we're getting old these days, man. We don't have to remind sort of the younger uh, viewers that there is actually these things that are just, they're just called alarms. Exactly. It's got alarm. You know pop. what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's these, it's like calculators, right? There's yeah. supposed to be this device that had this kind of like smaller screen on it and big buttons it used to press. Yeah. Um, you know, but like, the, yeah, no. but like with this, like I use my phone, my alarm, but I put it at the door of the room. So I, when my alarm goes off, I actually have to get out of bed, which means it's less likely that I press snooze because now I'm up. So it's actually a better thing if my alarm is at the door of my room as well. Um, yeah. But then I used to actually, for a while, I listened to either Headspace as a sleep meditation as a 10 minute one, or I had this guy like a guided 30 minute meditation. I don't think I've ever listened to the end of it. Cause I always just like zoned out from it. Um, but I started now lately counting from a thousand down. I was like, I'll just lay there and I'll just literally start counting from a thousand down to zero. It's literally <laughs> like counting sheep. I don't think I've ever hit 900. Like yeah. I've never hit 900. <laughs> I'm just out because you're laughing at my sleep routine right now. <laughs> but, like, for me, but also I have a heavy carb dinner every night. Like, like that's for me, like I have a heavy carb dinner and is there anything in that as far as having a heavier carb dinner and getting to sleep better? Yeah, there is actually. Um, but I don't think we should get into the science of it given. No, no, no. Yeah. Generally speaking, there is. So we do have a, um, what you could kind of, sorry, quotation marks here, talk like a sedative effect from having a carbohydrate mm. meal um, later in the evening for some people, not everyone. Um, but it's, it's something that I've used with clients that have sleep problems. Well, there you go. So you could do that. But for me, then I just count down from a thousand. I'm feeling fantastic. As of like, I think it's like 970. I'm normally out. So I'm like, oh yeah, I'm out now. Um, and that's it. Cause it's like, it's a routine now. And I think the biggest thing is that we have to get across is you're creating a routine and the more you do that routine, the more it becomes natural. So the more it becomes natural, this is now a habit in your life. And then you just, it just automatically your brain signaling at 845, this is what happens. And it's already preparing itself ready to go to sleep because it's used to this pattern in your life. Um, so I think the more and more you practice the pattern, the more your body starts to prepare itself to actually go to sleep. Right. And I think most people try a sleep routine once, like you were saying, Benny, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, it didn't work. It's like, no, you have to try it more than once. And yeah. yes, like you, you have to, tr you have to train this circadian rhythm. You yes. Know what I mean, so the light dark cycle is the, you know, kind of the biggest one, but your the way that you structure your day is also, um, very important. So for instance, if you eat meals at the same time every day, that strengthens your circadian rhythm. And what I mean by that, I'm not saying eat more meals, just for clarity. What I'm saying is if breakfast is always at 8 a.m., you know what I mean? A snack is always at 11 a.m., lunch is always at 1.30 p.m., that kind of structure only strengthens uh, this system for you. Training is actually an incredibly good zeitgeber, so a circadian cue as well. Now, not, I know not everyone afforded the luxury of training at the same time every day, but if you are, that can be something that you can try and consider to make more, um, uh, you know, at a, done at a similar time. All this working together, 
with a solid uh, sleep hygiene routine where you start doing things at the same time will pay dividends. And it's just a case of sticking at it and seeing it through that, you know, whether it's two weeks or two months, it doesn't matter. You've got to have that consistency just like everything else in health and fitness. Well, that's like when you're going to sleep, you need to have, you know, this sort of 15 to half an hour window where you normally go to sleep. And even when you're trying on the weekends, like you shouldn't wake up more than an hour later than you normally wake up. Like you shouldn't sleep until midday. Like that's not. Well, well, no, no. And then, you know, the reason this is called social jet lag. So this is, this is a very big problem in today's society. And Ryan pointed it out right at the start of our chat is that, you know, it's very common for someone to sleep five to six hours or six and a half hours through the week. And then you'll see them binge um, sleep on the weekends. But what that's like doing, you know, is if they're waking up three hours later on the weekends, that's like literally traveling from here, from Melbourne to Perth, you know what I mean? Um, every single weekend in terms of the disruption that it's doing with your jet lag, okay, with, with your circadian rhythm. And yeah. so this is a real world, real common problem that, um, you know, in, when we're working together with people like, oh, we don't want to um, sort of like uh, sacrifice sleep and then binge it on the weekends. I know that that's the habit that we're doing, but we want to kind of um, even that out. It's like uh, binge sleeping. It's a sleeping disorder. Kind of like yeah, binge well, eating. Yeah. Eating disorder. <laughs> yeah. Be careful. Be careful. Stop saying things. Stop saying things. In all seriousness, if someone decides to you know, change their bedtime to three hours later on the weekends yeah. and we start waking up three hours later, then come Sunday night, you know, you've got to do everything in your power to shift the circadian clock back three hours again. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is so common yet so nasty. Yeah. But, but in saying that, like, you know, the whole, like, people say, I'm going to eat less during the week and then they do binge on the weekend, but they say that's bad. But so many people go, I'm going to sleep less during the week and I'm going to sleep more on the weekend, but that's considered normal. Like, that yeah. is okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's just... You know, you have to use the same, you know, essentially philosophy. It's like, no, you should have essentially with your sleep, you know, within an hour, get to sleep and wake up and make it consistent because that is how your life should be for optimal performance. Um, Ryan, do you want to add anything? Who's coming up to the end of the podcast? Do you have anything you want to share? Um, not overly. Probably the last topic that I guess I, I think is worth touching on is napping. So, mm. you know, everyone's going to be either personally uh, leans towards biphasic, so napping or monophasic, one big sleep at night. The biggest thing with this is for PTs or students, obviously you have a greater, we do have a greater knowledge retention and transfer of knowledge with people that nap. And I'll just say the only thing um, to be careful of is, is make sure it, it, it suits the individual. So if you wake up feeling fresh after a nap, then go nuts. I, I take a nap every single day religiously for between uh, about 20 to 90 minutes. Um, and I, every time I wake up, it's better than a coffee. I feel alert. So I'd say for anyone, if you're going to try to test napping, test it, see it if how you wake up and see if it affects your sleep that night. And if it doesn't, then it could be a good option for yourself. If it does, then it's probably not something that you want to pursue. Benny, with napping, is there a certain length of period a nap should go for? And should you have some caffeine before you have a nap? Um, so to answer the first part of that question, not really. Like I think, you know, when I'm doing, when I'm talking about napping with a client or a member, usually I'm 
wanting them to have that outcome that Ryan described is like, you want to be coming out of that nap feeling rejuvenated. Okay. And that might, might tie in with like a full sleep cycle or, or whatever that is. But one of the things, and I think this is actually back when I was coaching Ryan, by the way. So I'm going to kind of jump in here on what he said is that the discussion that I have with coaches about napping when they've got to get up and do a night, sort of night evening shift after doing the morning shift is what we accumulate as we are awake is this um, sleep pressure. So we have this sort of compound that builds up in the body and just starts to make us tired. And you can't outrun this. Eventually, it'll get you. doesn't matter how many days you try to stay awake, the sleep pressure just gets greater and greater. The only thing that relieves sleep pressure is sleep. So what happens when you nap is you're going to get rid of some of this sleep pressure. And in real world uh, situations, what this means is, is if you're sleep napping too late in the evening you're going to wipe off a lot of that sleep pressure and then not have enough time in between your bedtime to start accumulating enough sleep pressure again and we see this a lot in um well from what i can perceive within the literature is in um you know old people's homes okay old people like as we age we have even more sleep difficulty but a lot of these uh, homes give them naps that are really late before dinner and then, of course, they wake up, they're rejuvenate, well, rejuvenated, I suppose, in a sense, and then they eat, and then they have difficulty falling back to sleep. Yeah. So for most people, what I would say is you would try to bring that nap forward as much as possible, okay? So if the nap at 4 p.m. left you <coughs> struggling to get at sleep at night at your bedtime, try and bring it back to 2 p.m. or 1 p.m. And with PTs, uh, sorry, I know we're shifting course here, but let's face it, we're going to have a lot of coaches listening as well. Um, this may mean that they... They train their clients and their classes in the morning and then maybe their usual habit was to eat and then train and then have a nap after training because let's face it, that's a pretty nice time to have a nap. But then maybe by that time, it's 4 p.m. now and they're getting like an hour and a half in before their evening classes. What could be better is to shift the sleep prior to training. Okay, so sleep earlier, wake up, train, eat, and then before you know it, you've accumulated enough time to get that sleep pressure back to what's needed to optimally fall asleep at night. Awesome. Um, I would say the only thing not to ever try, which is what I've tried, is polyphasic sleeping. I think that I'm the only crazy person on this podcast that's done that. Um, I slept 20 minutes every four hours. Um, so you never have a night time. This is like opening an RBT, right? Uh, I was like, I need to get more stuff done. Uh, so I was listening to Arnold Schwarzenegger. He said, just sleep faster. And I looked at Snoop Dogg and he was doing polyphasic sleeping and smoking some weed. So then I was like, you know, I'm going to try this polyphasic sleeping thing without the weed. And um, so I slept 20 minutes every four hours, right? And you do this, so you're only sleeping about four hours a day. After two weeks, I literally, I just passed out. I was like off social media for like 48 hours. And like, oh my gosh, TJ is dead. He was off social media for two days. And he was like, <laughs> no, he just, he just fell asleep and just did not wake up. So anyone out there thinking about trying polyphasic sleeping, do not try. I have tried it. It does not work. Well, it didn't work for me, and I don't think it was the most optimal thing for anyone. <laughs> that is the stupidness to finish this podcast. <laughs> um, well, that is the RBT podcast. Ryan, thanks so much, mate. No worries. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Thanks, Benny. Thanks for having me, mate. Awesome, guys. Tune in next time. That was RBT podcast episode two, talking about sleep. <laughs>